Well, if any of you feel the need to bring your toys to church so you don't lose them, you're welcome to do that this morning. Whatever brings you joy, I would say, would be okay. And so if you, uh, if you have Lego, that's probably too loud of a toy to bring to church. But Play-Doh would be okay. Okay. Or a coloring pad. Uh, because how many know the pastor gets a little boring sometimes? No amens. This is great. We're doing well this morning. I'm going to do my best to be funny. Um, because we're talking... <laughs> I don't know what he said, but I don't care. And why? Say why, Pastor Gary. (laughs) He's supposed to say why, but okay, fine, he didn't hear me. Because we're talking about joy this morning. And uh, now joy isn't just laughter, but I I think it's a good part of it. And I do like to laugh. I do like to be funny. But I learned from a pastor long ago that my desire to be funny is actually an insecurity within me. And I said, it totally is not. And he says, it is. When you get nervous, you crack a joke, and then you feel better about yourself. (laughs) Apparently, he was right. And so now, not every time, but there are moments that I've noticed since he said that, that it's true. And uh, I used to just cover it up and say, no, I'm just a joyful person. And I, generally I am, but it's apparently true. And so uh, this morning I get to crack a lot of jokes, not because I'm insecure, but because we're talking about joy today. And uh, why are we talking about joy? Well, let me refresh your memory in case you forgot. I'd be surprised if you did. But for those, if you haven't been in church for like two months, Rebecca, this is for you this morning, a reminder. <laughs> I know. Good. No. No, I'm just, I'm teasing her because she works very hard for her family. And so I I can tease you and laugh. And it's funny for me, (laughs) for everyone else that laughed. So anyways, uh, if you know this about me, I only make fun of people I like. So all of you get ready. Um, Some of you, I don't know all the details of your life. So it's harder to make fun of you. So if I don't make fun of you, don't take it the wrong way. (laughs) Kind of backwards thing. Anyways. I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead and get back to the notes here this morning. <laughs> this is intentional. This is in my notes, I promise. Now, we, we are in this series called Alive Again, getting off airplane mode. So if we are alive in Christ, what does that look like? What does that mean for you and me? If I'm truly alive in Christ, what are the characteristics that I should see in my life? Or what are the fruit in my life if we want to go to the fruit of the Spirit? What are the things? Now, I said last week that church is not supposed to be boring. It's supposed to be the greatest adventure following Christ that we've ever experienced in our lives. And we talked about the call of Peter and some of the incredible things that he did. And, and I don't know about you, but I would love to walk on one water someday. Maybe not, maybe physically, that'd be incredible. But, you know, when I follow God, I like to think that he takes me places that I would have never gone before, would have never had the opportunity to do or say the things that I would never be able to say without him. Because the plan that he has for my life is much better than the plan that I've ever had for my own life. And you've probably heard me tell my story before. If you haven't, you can have, you can buy me a coffee because that'd be nice of you to do that. And I'll tell you about it someday, but we're not going to do that right now. And if you don't want to buy me a coffee, I will buy you the coffee. And since there's no good coffee in town, you can come to my house and I'll make you a Keurig coffee. Okay. But if we're truly alive in Christ, what are some things that uh, should be evident in our life? And so I talked about being alive in prayer. I talked about being alive through difficult circumstances. How do we be alive in Christ in our waiting? You know, when we're waiting on God, waiting for the miracle to come, waiting for provision, waiting for the next steps of our lives. And when we're trying to determine what is God's will 
for our life. And so today, I could not name everything that we've talked about unless I look at my notes, because that's the way my brain works. It seems to always be moving forward, I guess. But today, we're going to talk about being alive in joy. Now, I, I should have looked this up. I don't know how many times joy is mentioned or referred to in the Bible, but it's there quite a bit. Let me just say that. And uh, if you want to look that up and get back to me next week, I'll give you a prize in a few weeks when I remember that. Uh, you can just say you owe me one, and I can say I gladly. Okay. So if you can tell me how many times joy is mentioned in the Bible, there's your homework this week, and we'll talk about it. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I would like you to answer this morning. In your opinion or in your experience, what is joy? Go. Priscilla. Sorry, you don't have to answer. What is joy? What is, she wasn't listening, that's why. I'm just, she's on her phone, that's why, see? I know she's, I know she is. Next week, next week, let me know. Take it home. I don't know the answer, you have to teach me something. Okay, what is joy? Go Anybody, go ahead and just tell me. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Okay, but what is joy? Okay, we can experience it in his presence. What is joy? In happiness? Inner happiness. Okay, I should get my ears checked. Sense of peace? Jesus over me? Oh, first of all. Can you show me? What does that look like, DeGraph? Joy doesn't depend, write that one down if you want to. Joy doesn't depend on the situation as happiness does. I'm going to mention something along those lines later. I don't have to now. Anybody, what, else, what, what is joy? You know, we've, we, maybe in Sunday school you learn a song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? Oh, you, you guys sang too much this morning. Judy sung you out. Okay, that's fine. And then there's another song. There's joy unspeakable, full of glory, full of amazed. I stand amazed in the presence. Yeah, there's another song, joy. Some reason for me, joy makes me want to sing. Or, so this is a really, (laughs) I get really weird sometimes if you don't know this about me. Like just a little bit weird. And so you don't always see this side of me and you would have been thankful not to. So I'm brushing my, no, I was shaving, trimming my beard the other day. And I had, so I, this is a ridiculous story. I got a Bluetooth speaker because I bought two boxes of paper. So I got it free. And so I figure I have this speaker. It was free. I have to use it. So I crank it up loud. I'm shaving my beard. And the David Crowder song comes on. Um, undignified. It's talking about David. He says, I will dance, I will sing to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering this passion in my soul. Then it goes, I'll become even more undignified than this. And so you've seen like the 80s videos where like the girl's brushing her hair with the hairbrush and she's using it as a microphone. Well, I'm out there, my kids are there watching and they thought it was silly, but you know, it was just this incredible moment of joy came over me. And you can just imagine me with this half-trimmed beard and the song and me dancing. It, you, know, you don't want to see that. It's, but it's such a good moment of joy. And you know why? I've, I've, the Lord has blessed me with joy, I'll just say that. Because ever since I was even a young kid, when, when music that praised the Lord would come on, I would get excited. And something stirred within me when this song, and I was being silly when the kids were there and the whole bit, but there was something genuine that sparked inside of me that just brought an overwhelming sense of joy because the presence of God was in the bathroom with me as I shaved my beard on 
whatever day that was this week. Friday, I think it was Friday. So avoid my house on Fridays if you want to. Joy is a feeling of great pleasure and even happiness. Now, happiness is not joy, but happiness is a result of joy, I believe. Joy is a quality, not simply an emotion, okay? Uh, whereas happiness is more of an emotion that we have. Uh, crying is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. Joy is more than an emotion. It's grounded upon God himself, and it's delivered from him. It is a kingdom quality. So that's why we're talking about it this morning. It's a kingdom quality, both now and forever. More. That's why we can say it's joy everlasting, because joy is an incredible quality to have. In the Old Testament, it was kind of what DeGraff described joy as, of, of, of excitement. And if you've ever been to an Old Testament festival, you're not old enough for that, but you can just imagine the, the dancing, the music, the, the celebration that would take place. And of course, that's the joy that was expressed then. Spontaneous joy is a prevailing feature of many of the Psalms' writers, uh, where it is both a mark of corporate worship as well as personal adoration. So the moments we come together, and you've probably heard me say it before, even as we enter a service and we start a service saying, you know, I don't know what's going on this week, but leave it at the door because we're coming to worship God now together. That is an invitation to partake in the joy that God has for your life. Even if it's something you can't experience because of circumstances, I believe that it can be present in your life, even in your darkest day. And so that's why I say, leave it at the door. We're here to worship God today. And you've probably heard me say that, and I'll continue to say that again. It's an invitation as a reminder to say, hey, the joy of the Lord can be within you, and the joy of the Lord can be your strength. Trust me, we're going to get to the Bible here in just a moment. I'm not making this stuff up. Psalm 119, here's the Bible verse for you, a verse for you. 119.14 says, I'm going to read it from the Bible, even though it's in my notes, and I've told you why before. But this is what it says. It says, rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Uh, I encourage you to read this full psalm. It's lots of good words in it, but read the full psalm. But rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Now, there was a couple in town um, that recently won $10,000. They bought a lottery ticket at Moe and Joe's. I imagine they felt some happiness about that. Uh, I can't remember their names, but if you go in there, they have the sign up. That's why I'm telling you it's public knowledge and stuff like that. But there's a sign, and, and uh, you can just imagine the excitement they felt when they won $10,000. Uh, you know, maybe not a ton, a ton of money, but that's $10,000 more than they would have had, and that's something worth celebrating. And, you know, as the Psalter writes here, he's actually rejoicing in the statutes of God, in the things of God beyond even just the great riches. And so you can have all the money in the world, and you may think it's going to bring you happiness. You know, it might make things easier for a while, but even all the money in the world cannot bring you the joy that God has. Even the things of God bring joy, the characteristics of God. So there's just one example. We're not going to stay in Psalms this morning. We're going to keep moving on. Uh, in the Greek uh, New Testament, rejoice always is actually the shortest verse that is expressed in the entire New Testament. In English, of course, every kid that wants to memorize the verse and get the star or the sticker wants to memorize Jesus wept, right? Because that's the shortest English verse in the Bible. But in Greek, the shortest verse in the New Testament is rejoice always. 
rejoice always, which of course is derived from the root word joy. Rejoice is the action of joy. Rejoice always. And so when should we rejoice? Okay, what if I had a bad day at work? When should I rejoice? What if I get some bad news from, from somebody? What do I do? <laughs> tricked you there. Some of you said always, some of you said rejoice. Joy is always present. It's a mark of Christian living. Rejoice always, being joyful. doesn't make you a Christian just as much as going to church joy to our lives. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, of peace. And can you guess what the third one is? Joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God isn't about eating or drinking, but it's of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why is joy necessary? This is the verse that we're going to go to this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, and we're going to start there this morning. So if you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is what it says. Very simple, kind of few words. You could memorize this one and recite it, and I'll give you a sticker next week, okay? Rejoice always. There's verse 16. Very easy to memorize. Rejoice always. Say it with me. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If you don't remember anything I say this morning, remember this verse. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, why should we do it? One, it's sort of a command. It's, a, it's highly suggested from the writer of this letter, Paul, saying, hey, rejoice always, pray continually. This is the will of God. It's a mark or sign that we have Christ within us. And finally, it is God's will. It is the will of God for your life in Christ Jesus that you have Joy. He didn't come into the world to allow you to be sad and to wallop and to groan and to moan and to be a lump on a log. If that's you, you can have joy this morning, okay? Uh, I understand uh, the opposite of joy, and this is our sort of our second point this morning. The opposite of joy maybe is sadness, maybe it's depression, maybe it's grief, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. But again, these are emotional things. So even in the midst of depression, because we know that even believers struggle with depression, it's a real thing. We know that even Jesus himself grieved. He had a friend named Lazarus who, who had died, and we see that Jesus grieved. We see even anger. Jesus flips the tables of the temple of the, of the money traders. We see anger, an emotion. We see bitterness and unforgiveness as well, maybe are, are examples that are the opposite of joy. These are emotional things, and joy is beyond an emotion. Joy is derived from both love, God's love, and ours. It is consistently associated with love as a gift from the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing, as we look even on the wall here about the, the fruit of the Spirit, they are gifts from God. Uh, we know that the things of God can be interrupted in our lives because of what? Sin. The, the gifts of God can be distracted or maybe blinded from us when there are things in our lives that don't line up with the principles of God, the things of God. You can experience happiness in moments of joy, maybe, while living 
in sin, but true, authentic joy only comes when you rise above it. It comes from a righteous relationship, living with God day in and day out. Sin separates us from God, therefore it separates us from the gifts of God. Now, I'm not telling you that if you decide to go break the law and you sin against God, something bad is going to happen to you this today. But what I am telling you is that you are removing yourself from the gifts and the pleasures that God has for you in his kingdom. But we have hope this morning, because if we confess our sin, and if we repent of our sin, and if we make it known before the Lord and even others, we can instantly experience joy. And this is why, in my opinion, and make sure you catch that, in my opinion, baptism is such a joyous experience. Because it's a public declaration when someone goes into the water and they come out of the water, it's a public declaration to the world that I am no longer the person I once was. I have been made new and whole again in Christ. And so as that public declaration saying, hey, I'm not the person who was once caught in sin. I'm now in the presence, in the family of God because I have recognized my sin. I have confessed my sin. And I'm showing you now that Jesus Christ lives within me. I'll never forget when we were doing our annual baptism service down at the beach, growing up, Every summer, we'd guarantee there was a family. They had a camp uh, pretty much in town, but uh, it's really funny. They built their house, and then they, had their, they built their house right next to their cottage for whatever reason. It was a really nice spot, beautiful beach. And every, every August, after one of the services, we'd go down. We'd have a big, huge potluck and barbecue, and people would have their boats and the tubes and the water skis and all these things, kneeboards. And we'd have our baptism service down at the beach. And I'll never forget this one, this one lady, good friend of our family's, uh, she had finally made the decision to get baptized. And she had been coming to church on again, off again, on again, off again. And, and she made the decision, I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to be in his will. And I want to be obedient. And I want to take this step of faith. And I want to declare and proclaim publicly my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to get baptized. And when she came out of that water, I mean, keep in mind, we're, in a, we're from a Pentecostal church. And so she, she got very charismatic as she came out of the water, would be a good way to say it. Exuberant joy came over her. And she was waving her arms. And she was shouting. And she was screaming. And she was just so excited because she knew that she was exactly right in the middle of God's will for her life. And her life situation was difficult and long family history and her husband wasn't serving the Lord and didn't understand it and didn't really even approve and lots of just different dynamics going on. But she made the commitment to serve God and in this moment of baptism, she was overcome with, I believe, just a joy from the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, there was still a lineup of people to be baptized after her, and she was gone. Like, she was out in the lake just dancing and praising God because of the joy that had come over her life. Now, I'm not saying that needs to be your experience when you're baptized, but it was a very cool moment just to see the joy of the Lord come over this woman who had been struggling with her faith. And when she publicly made the decision, I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to stand with God, she was immediately overcome with the gift of joy. And so the things that keep us away from joy, sometimes we do. We let the situations around us affect how we feel. Or we don't really let them. That's just the way the reality of nations. We're faced with grief. We're faced with sadness. We're faced with an illness. We're, we're faced with challenges and, and, and relationships. And we're faced with all kinds of, the, the list goes on. You can put 
you know, your own blank. You could fill it in yourself there. But in the middle of those situations, we come back to the fact that if I am alive in Christ, regardless of the world around me, I can still experience the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord will continue to be my strength. Why? Because it is God's will for my life, as Paul says. So, if the opposite of joy, if, if sin keeps us away from joy, obviously the opposite of that is the pathway to joy, and that is we have sort of three we're going to talk about today. Holiness. Holiness is the pathway to God. Uh, we're going to talk about this for a few moments just to give you the background here. Why is Paul writing this letter to the Thessalonians? You'll notice as you read through this, this book of the Bible in Thessalonians, Paul mentions almost every, cha- no, every chapter, if not more than once, he talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And why is that important? How does this relate to joy? Well, we have a hope in a future in in Christ. If that doesn't give you joy, I don't know what will. But I have a hope for tomorrow that even when I close my eyes for the last time on this earth, I know that I will open my eyes in heaven with him and be with him forever. Or if he comes back, I know that I'm going to go with him as he leaves. But Paul talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the Thessalonians, they, they had lost, it's a very unique situation. We don't know how long Paul spent in Thessalonica. But as he went to this city, uh, he began to do his regular routine. He went to the, the, the synagogue and he would he, he'd talk to the, the, the Jewish people that were there and he'd share the gospel with them. And then he'd move into the streets and, and some of the Jews went with him. Some of them became bitter and were against him. Just sort of the same old, same old story that we hear with Paul time and time again. And as he established this church in this community, we figure maybe he was there three months. And that three months' time, he shared as much of the gospel, as much about Jesus as he possibly could, and much of the truth. And then he was on his way. And so he's on his second missionary journey. He writes this letter because of the things that he's heard from the church. And and they're, you know, a bunch of new Christians. They don't really know all the details, the ins and outs, you know, you know, who is exactly was Jesus, what does all this mean? And Paul's helping them understand this information. And he hears word that they're terribly grieved by the people in their church who have passed away. Because on this earth, people, they come and they go, and it's the reality of life until Jesus comes and restores us forever. That's the reality. And they're terribly grieved that they have lost people in their church to death. They do not know the state of their souls. They don't know, they worry about their own salvation. And Paul's saying, hey, look, you don't need to worry about them. They are with Jesus in heaven. This is the hope that he's called us to. This is why he allows his holiness, the work of Christ that has already been completed, the work that will continue to be completed in your life, to take place. And so one of the pathways to joy is holiness. Paul writes this letter and and encourages them. He says, let yourself be filled with Christ. Be filled with joy for it is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It's important because it speaks of our hope. Now, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and that's what it's all about. But following Jesus is more than that, believe it or not. It's about our everyday relationship with him. You know, it's like getting married. You could just imagine, okay, okay, honey, we're going to get married. We're going to be married forever, but I'm never going to see you, ever. Like, we're going to just go live in different places, work in different communities, but we're married, and I'll stay faithful to you, and blah, 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 blah. It's not the way it works, you know, just to say that I'm married. It's just to say that I'm going to get to heaven when I die. There's more to following Jesus than that. It's a continual day-by-day working on the relationship with him.
And out of that relationship comes great joy. You know, if we keep going down in this chapter, talking about holiness, chapter 5, verse 24 says, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I like this translation. It said, God who is faithful will produce holiness in the lives of those whom he calls. And this morning, if you don't know who that is, he's called you. He makes you holy in the work of salvation by God. The second pathway one I'll talk to, how do we get to joy, is, of course, prayer. Prayer is the pathway to joy. Prayer is a continual personal fellowship with God and consciousness of his presence. Prayer is a continual personal relationship with God and a consciousness of his presence. You know, do you ever get those moments where you just, you're just, you know that you need to just take some time and pray, you just don't want to? You know, like, you go into bed or you get up in the morning, you think, I should, I should really just read something and just pray. Maybe you don't think about it at all in your day, and you get to a point and you think, you know, I haven't talked to God in a while. You know, I like to say those are some of the best moments, you know, and then you come to God and it's this great glorious moment. You say, oh, how I've missed you so much. You know, like, I'm going to go away this week and I'm going to come back on Saturday night and I'm going to see my wife. I'm going to go, oh, I missed you so much. I haven't been with you. It's, it's very different, but a similar feeling when it comes to prayer and relationship with God. You know, you just imagine the way he feels. Oh, you've been away from me for so long. You haven't talked to me. And so I'm so glad that you're talking to me now. I'm so glad that we're conversing, that we're, we're having this relationship together. And the closer we get to God, it's amazing how the details, the things that make us busy or distract us from God, or even the sin in our life that pulls us away from God. It's amazing when we take even just 30 seconds and begin to recognize God in our lives and recognize that we have a relationship with him. It's amazing how much those little details, not that they go away, they're just not nearly as big as they once were. We're going to jump to why that is in just a few minutes or next week or sometime, but we'll get there. And finally this morning, I say finally, I still have another page and a half, but bear with me. The pathway to joy is thanksgiving. And so we come back to this verse in chapter 5. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, thanksgiving is a pathway to joy. Here's your cheesy pastor joke for you today. I don't mean gravy. I don't mean mashed potatoes. I don't mean a turkey, cranberries, yuck. I don't mean stuffing, although those things bring me great joy. Uh, I will eat that every month if you want to make me a turkey dinner. Thanksgiving is the pathway to joy. No, it's not the bird. The key to experiencing joy is experience joy is easy, easily overlooked. It's a trail often covered by the weeds of materialism, the lack of success, the lack of awareness. You might even be overlooking the key to having joy, even though it's directly beneath your nose. In short, it's being thankful for the things you have, being thankful for the things you don't have. Because there's things that people have that I'm thankful I don't. You know, in the Old Testament, thanksgiving was given to God because of something that he did. In the New Testament, it became a way of life for everyday believers. Everyday Christians would give thanks. In every situation, good or bad, they would give thanks. In the end, to give thanks, it can include praising God for who he is, for what he's done, and it can also involve a great expression of gratitude. Giving thanks is so much more than saying thank you when someone does something nice for you or working up a feeling of gratitude. As we see, giving thanks is directly tied to our relationship 
with God. You know, for the sinful woman, so to speak, in quotes, who put oil on Jesus' head and poured perfume all over his feet as an expression of her thankfulness, to the crazy story of this, this little man, Zacchaeus, paying back fourfold what he took from others, thankfulness and gratitude become a hallmark of both of their lives. You know, I just, the story of Zacchaeus is, is such, a, such an interesting one, one of the favorites of mine. I say that about every story in the Bible I know. It's just so good, okay? Here's a guy, he steals money from people legally, sort of, and he hears, he hears about this man, Jesus, and is intrigued by him, and he's not a very popular guy, if you can imagine. I mean, if someone knocks on your door and takes your money, you're not going to like them very much, right? Um, and so here we have this man who's not very well liked. He's not very big. And so he climbs a tree. And he doesn't want to talk to Jesus. He just wants to see what all the fuss is about. And as Jesus gets closer, we hear Jesus call him and say, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Get ready. And so after he has this incredible encounter with Jesus, he says, uh, I'm going to give my life to you. And I'm going to pay back everything that I stole times four. Now, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not bad with numbers, but numbers really aren't my thing. And so you just have to imagine, how much money did this guy have that he could pay back everything that he stole four times what he stole? Like, that must have been some bank account that he had some... I wish my savings account would grow that fast. Like, come on, Zacchaeus, come show me your tips here. Why? Because he realizes that Jesus is enough. He doesn't need the great riches to have the joy of the Lord, to have joy in his life. He doesn't need to have all of this money. He needs to be grateful for the things that are put in front of him. Gratitude is often overlooked by virtue, and we should cultivate it. If thanksgiving is how we respond to God's goodness in our life, gratitude is what we feel in the depths of our heart. It is the well by which we can draw the authentic expression of thanksgiving. You know, giving thanks to God in hard time is really when the rubber meets the road for many of us. Uh, let's admit, it's easy to say thank you when we were, things are going well, but when something goes wrong, when we've been mistreated, we've been, you know, get the diagnosis that we, we don't want, we get the news that we don't want. Giving thanks in the hard times really isn't natural, let alone comfortable for us. It's hard to do. But here's the deal about hard times. They're meant to enlarge our faith, not diminish it. Last week I made the point, you know, you know, Jesus says he gives us the faith of a mustard seed. We can move a mountain. And it's not about how much faith we have. It's about who our faith is in. You know, I can believe in this stool all I want. I can have all the faith in the world, but that stool is not going to help me. But when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. Because my God is bigger. And so I lack nothing when I put my faith in God. When I give thanks to him, even in my hardship, even in my grief, my faith grows because it is in a God who is real. It is in a God who is bigger than my circumstances. Are you having trouble giving thanks this morning? Uh, let me ask you this question. Is there a limit to God's power? Is there a limit to God's power? Obviously, we know the answer is no, because God is omnipotent, which means by definition that there is nothing that God cannot do. And if there's nothing that God cannot do, then we always have something to be thankful for. 
So God, if you are as big as I believe that I say you are, there is nothing that I shall be in want of because you are enough. And if you are enough, and I'm thankful for what, who you are, that is enough, and that will surely bring joy to my life. You know, I know that my bank account may be in negative zero right now, and I may be owing lots of money, but for whatever reason that may be, Lord, I know that you are bigger than my financial problems. I, you know, I, I believe that God will provide a way that he'll, he'll make something happen. I'm not saying he's going to put a $10,000 check in your bank account, but you never know. He could do that if it is his will. I'm not saying that he will. I just know that he will make a way. If we're thankful for God, for who he is, it doesn't matter what the situation that faces us because our God is bigger. We've said it this morning. Is there a limit to God's power? Absolutely not. And so if there is no limit to God's power, then there's no limit for us to experience the joy that he desires, that he's willed for us to have in our lives. The result of being thankful equals being generous, of course. And so if you are truly thankful, then you realize that everything around you belongs to him anyway. Now, we did a, a message called Alive in Generosity, so experience joy it means that we are generous with what he has given us. And so I'm going to sh- close this morning with a, with a story from our own community. And, and it's evident to me that there are, there are children in our community that are full of joy and full of generosity. And so an incredible moving story that I saw on Facebook and heard from the parent, uh, two situations. First of all, the end of our street yesterday, a family held a bake sale. Now the, the family, they did this, I think, last year. And... Uh, they like baking, they wanted to eat it, but they said, hey, let's sell the stuff that we bake, let's take that money, and let's give it to, I think it was the Children's Make-A-Wish Foundation, something along those lines. You probably saw it on Facebook. And uh, this was not the parents' idea, this was the idea of their children. They said, let's sell some baked goods and raise money for children that could really use it. Here's the second story, and it's public, so I can share it with you because it's on Facebook, and it's public if it's on Facebook, right? Is that how it, how it works? Whatever. They won't mind me sharing this. There's a girl in our community. Her birthday is coming up in about 10 days, but she did her party this past weekend. And she said to her mom, she said, look, I don't want any presents from my friends. I don't know what, you know, 10-year-old kid would tell you that. I don't want any presents. Instead, Mom, I want them to bring food that we can give to the Harvest Covered Food Bank for those that have a need. And so they have their party. They bring all their canned goods and all these foods together. They go down to the Harvest Covered, and all the children that were at this birthday party brought in over 80 pounds of food for the food bank. I mean, if these kids aren't filled with joy, I don't know what they're filled with generosity and joy in giving thanks. You you can't really have one without the other. Incredible stories of just joy, evidence that God is working in the lives of people in our community. I mean, these things come from God. They're gifts from God. Now, if a child can give up her birthday presents, I mean, like birthday presents, like my kid had a birthday in May and people brought presents. They bought their better presents than I buy my kid. I'm like, score, my kid's got cool toys because other people bought them. She gave it all up for someone else who had a need. That's real joy. That's generosity. And so if you're having a hard time being generous this morning, if you're having a hard time with joy, let's look at Psalm 118.24. 
He says, this is the day the Lord has made. If, if anything I said is not enough, remember this verse. For this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. If you don't remember anything else I said today, no matter what is going on, remember that this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And of course, we're going to close. You can't stop, talk about joy and not talk about Philippians 4. I remember memorizing this one as a child, and I loved when I got to memorize it again because I already knew it. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord how many times? When? Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, and i got to keep going. It's so good. Finally, brothers, this is one of my favorite verses, and I actually mean that. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Heavenly Father, we rejoice, Lord, in who you are. Lord, we, we, we give you praise for the great things that you have done, but Lord, we rejoice in who you are, the biggest God, the greatest God, the only God, because, Lord, you are a magnificent being. Lord, you are far above, Lord, our minds can fathom, we could ever imagine. Lord, you are bigger, you are greater, Lord, than anything else that we can ever come up with. Lord, as I think about the, the, the exploration that has taken place, Lord, across our galaxies and, and the, the technologies that exist for us to see just how vast the universe is, and yet, God, you're still bigger than that. Lord, and if I know that to be true this morning, I know that in whatever circumstance that I face, Lord, I know that I can be filled with joy, that I can rejoice, Lord. One, because, Lord, it's your will for my life, but, Lord, because I know that you are who I put my faith, my trust, and my hope in. God, you are a big and you are a great God. And to you, Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise for all that we are, for all that we will be, and Lord, we look forward to the day where we have joy with you in eternity forever because our hope for a blessed future, Lord, is bright. I praise you in Jesus' name because you are amazing. You are wonderful. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, God. Amen. Amen. If you need to experience joy, may I suggest a Bluetooth speaker and a David Crowder song as you either brush your hair, trim your hair, or put on your makeup. Because no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're going, no matter who you are, you can have joy this morning. God bless you today.